0: final week this morning uh, in the book of Jonah. And uh, regardless of your church background or your understanding of the Bible, I'm guessing you've heard something about Jonah, uh, and it probably has to do with him getting swallowed by a giant fish. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Yes, it really happened. Um, There's a lot of interesting things in Jonah. You know, it's considered a literary masterpiece, both by those who believe the Bible and those who don't believe the Bible. It's just It's amazingly written. It's a fascinating story. One of the most amazing things we see in the book of Jonah is God's compassion because it shows up for surprising people in surprising ways. We're going to look at Jonah chapter 4 this morning as we wrap up this uh, account. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's printed in your bulletin for you. As you're turning there, um, I want you to think about uh, some of the maybe polarizing statements that that you have heard. One of them is this. Uh, we're getting a dog. It's a very polarizing statement. Um, I can remember, so um, we just, you may have seen on Instagram, we may, we just celebrated Max's second birthday. Uh, before we got Max, we were talking about getting a dog. I remember what it was like where, where Aaron and I sort of made the decision, all right, we're going to do this thing. We're getting a dog. And then, and then you start telling people you're getting a dog. And you're making a big transition because you're going from not being a dog person to being a dog person. That's a big jump because... Previously, you were able to relate to the non-dog people. Solidarity, right? And then you're joining a new club. You're, you're joining the, the, the dog club people. Um, and whenever you tell someone we're getting a dog, you instantly get a read on how, what they think about dogs. right? Because the dog people are like, oh, it's going to be so great. They really are a man's best friend. You know? It's so great to have them around. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be so much fun. Just love dogs. And then there's a the non-dog people who feel like you have betrayed them by deciding to get a dog. Where you say, yeah, yeah, we're getting a dog. I'm like, oh, okay, wow. And they don't want to lie and say they're happy for you because they're not happy for you. They think you're making a terrible mistake. And then, you know, maybe there's some questions like, you know, um, do you know how much a dog costs on a monthly basis? Um, Do you know that, like, you don't have to have that live animal living inside your house. That's optional, right? You can choose not to. But you instantly see the same event, getting a dog with two very different responses from the heart. One person is ecstatic and the other person thinks you are crazy for taking the plunge. One event, two very different responses. We have seen that throughout Jonah and we see it especially in our text this morning. One event happens and you see Jonah's response. And then you see God's response. And they are very different. In our text this morning, we are going to see his response to an event which is going to show us the very heart of God. This is Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. and also much cattle. The Word of the Lord. Father, we do thank You for Your Word this morning. O Holy Spirit, would You speak to us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here's what we see about God in this passage. These are going to be our three points this morning. First, God is compassionate. Secondly, God is patient. And third, God is gracious. First, God is compassionate. What does it mean to be compassionate? That's a word you're probably familiar with. We think about compassion a lot. Here's a definition of compassion. Sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. That's compassion. Sympathetic pity or concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Uh, All right, let's ask this question. Where in the book of Jonah does God show sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others? Where do we see this? Y'all, we see this throughout the book. God's compassion, major, major theme of Jonah. He shows it to the pagan sailors in chapter 1. Remember, there's the big storm that comes. The pagan sailors are there. Not only do they not uh, wreck their ship and drown, but those pagan sailors become believers. God draws them to Himself through that storm, through their interaction with Jonah, in the midst of Jonah running. God shows compassion on the pagan sailors. He shows compassion to Jonah when Jonah gets thrown into the ocean and he's drowning. God does not let him drown, but has a giant fish come and swallow him up that would bring about his repentance, his turning from his running. And turning back to God. He shows compassion on Jonah there. He shows compassion again when Jonah is back up on dry land. He gives him a second chance to fulfill his calling to go to the Ninevites. God gives him a second chance. Shows compassion. He shows compassion. We looked at this last week. On the Ninevites. Big time. That's all of chapter 3. By relenting from his judgment. His just judgment. He relents. You may have noticed our passage this morning. Jonah is sitting in sulking in anger. Um, at the fact that God had spared the Ninevites. He's actually verbally mad at God. He's sitting there pouting, sulking. And what does God do? Verse 6, God appoints this plant to grow up over Jonah to give him shade. You know, we mentioned this last week that sometimes when people think about the Old Testament and the New Testament, they sort of think about God as being different. There's like the Old Testament version and the New Testament version. And And maybe, you know, the thinking is like, yeah, the God of the Old Testament is like really like into wrath and judgment. He's like the mean version of God. And then the New Testament version of God is like the nice version where it's more about forgiveness and love. That's when Jesus enters the picture, right? It's a misunderstanding of how God is portrayed in the Old and New Testament. But it's a common misunderstanding because we said ultimately that his judgment and his wrath flow out of his goodness and his love and his holiness. That's last week, chapter three. See the podcast We talked all about that. Here in the Old Testament, in our passage this morning, do you see how compassionate God is? He always has been. He always will be. Uh, Years ago at another church, uh, we were in a session meeting. Um, That term may be familiar with you. That's what we're in the process of forming here at Resurrection. A session is a group of ruling elders and the pastors that sort of um, shepherd the church and make decisions on behalf of the church. Well, I was sitting in a session meeting years ago at another church, and we were um, talking about one of our church members and how to care for him. This particular church member um, had had just had a pretty um, intense history, in and out of homelessness, in and out of, of really struggling with addiction, in and out of legal trouble, and... Um, and the church had really been there, sort of walk alongside them and help him along the way, and and he was in a spot where he had fallen back into this legal situation where he needed legal help, and he reached out to us and he said, "I, I need I need some help. I need you. Will you guys do this thing for me?" And so we were we were praying through that and thinking about that as a session, which these are always really hard decisions, and you, you may have felt this just in in difficult or, or you know difficult situations or relationships in your own life where. You really want to help? You're trying to think, is that the best thing for this person at this particular moment? It's not always clear. We were wrestling through it and praying through it. And we came to the decision in this session meeting, um, all right, we're, we're not going to give him this legal thing that he, that he wants because we want him to feel the consequences of what he's done that he could kind of learn and grow through this. Really hard decision, really hard to get there. Felt so heavy, so weighty because we loved this man We'd been walking with him. And so we prayed. We just stopped the meeting and we started praying. And so we're praying in this deep, meaningful time of prayer. And then the the prayer ends and we look up. And I look across the, the table and there is this one elder who is weeping. And he's just sitting there in tears and he looks up at all of us and we're silent. And he says, guys, I think we made the wrong decision. I think if we look back on this situation and on this brother that we're trying to help, that we want to err on the side of continuing to show compassion. It may not be the right decision in this situation. We don't really know. But I think we need to show compassion to this brother to think about his misfortune, his suffering, and to help him with this legal situation. And everyone heard this brother, this elder, and we all agreed, and we turned we, we, we uh, turned course in that moment and made a different decision to help this guy with his legal trouble. But when that elder looked up after we were praying with tears in his eyes, it was as though that, that, that his tears were the very compassion of God. That is God's heart. He does not give us what we deserve. He shows compassion time and time again. And that's what we experienced in that meeting. Um, this is the heart of God. He is, com- he is compassionate. And I want you just to think about yourself, because we all face a situation. You're in your car. You hit the, the, the stoplight or the stop sign and you see a homeless person there with the sign asking for help. What's, what's the internal dialogue? What, what are you thinking? What are you feeling inside when you experience that person in that moment? Is there compassion for that person where you think, all right, this is a unique person with a unique story and unique struggles and unique background. There's a, there's a specific reason why they are there in that spot asking for help. Does your heart go there? Or do you think, I should have worked harder. Hey, if they, if they just put that, the effort of holding that sign out there all day and getting a job, you know, maybe they wouldn't be out there holding the sign. You know, or um, is that even real? Right? Maybe they're just trying to rip me off. Maybe, maybe they're fine. They're just trying to make money the easy way by staying there asking for it. Where does your heart go in that moment? And I'm not downplaying the complexity of homelessness and people asking for help on the street... I have still not figured out how to handle that. It's, it's always really complex and confusing. Not trying to oversimplify it, but in that moment where you see someone in their suffering and misfortune, where does your heart go? Do you see fruit of the compassion of God? Or do you see what is really more similar to anger? That's sort of what we see with Jonah, which we'll talk about in a moment. Well, listen to how Tim Keller talks about compassion in his book on Jonah. He says, Real compassion, the voluntary attachment of our heart to others, means the sadness of their condition makes us sad. It affects us. That is deeply uncomfortable, but it is the character of compassion. It's when our hearts connect to another in their misfortune. We feel the sadness that they feel. And it is deeply uncomfortable. It's so easy to to sort of rationalize the reason why this person is in the situation that they're in. And it's not even necessarily wrong to do that. But does your heart break for this person? That's the compassion of God. We see that in this passage throughout Jonah. What do we see from Jonah in our passage? Anger, like real anger. Verse 1, why was he so upset? Right before this um, passage, chapter 3... God sent Jonah for the second time to the Ninevites. He preaches to the Ninevites and they hear him. And so they repent. So God relents. He does not bring disaster upon them. Which you would think, let's throw a party, right? Let's celebrate. Like, you know, think about the prodigal son where the son comes home. What does the father do? He throws a massive party. That's the right response to repentance. Repentance is good. Turning from evil is good. That is not how Jonah saw it. Jonah was Angry. Chapter 4 verse 1 said he was exceedingly displeased. Angry. Why? Look at chapters 2 through 5. And he prayed to the Lord. So this is an angry prayer from Jonah. Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God. And merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah leaves to watch to see what happens to the city. It's something crazy happens with Jonah here. It's like he reverts back to chapter 1, Jonah. Um, it's almost like when an adult child moves out of the house and they sort of establish themselves. Maybe they get a job, they're supporting themselves you know, maybe they get married, but, you, you know, you sort of see them, and you're like, wow, like, look at all this newfound, like, adult maturity that I'm seeing in this child. This is amazing. They're not a kid anymore. And you're really proud of them, and you see them living life on their, home, on their own. And then they go back, and they visit mom and dad, and it's like something clicks when they walk in mom and dad's door, where they revert back to, like, the 13-year-old version of themselves. They're, like, they're staring at the pantry, griping at mom for having the wrong flavor of Pop-Tarts. And you're thinking, like, what? I thought you were, like, this new, mature adult, and now you're complaining about the Pop-Tarts. What, what happened here? Uh, maybe that's just me that I've personally experienced in myself. But Jonah reverts back to chapter 1, Jonah. And he kind of throws his fit and he gets really angry with God. And, and it's this total I told you so moment. I knew this was going to happen because this, this is what you're like. You're just too gracious. You're too merciful. You've taken it too far this time. And then he quotes God back to God, which is probably not a good idea the way that he does this. This is how God describes himself, Exodus 34. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. A lot of worship songs use that phrasing. we use that to praise God, to sing to God, to celebrate God, because those are good things about him. We like the fact that he's gracious and merciful. We like the fact that he abounds with steadfast love, that he's slow to anger. Jonah is throwing that back in his face. He's so angry he wants to die. And he's sitting outside the city waiting. Why is Jonah so angry? Why is he so upset? Because he did not want the Ninevites to repent. Because the Ninevites were Assyrians and they were bad people. And most of all for Jonah, these Ninevites opposed a nationalistic threat to the Israelites. If the Ninevites repent and suddenly these are now like included in the people of God... What's that going to mean for their national relationship? Every commentator I read agrees that what is driving Jonah's anger are his nationalistic desires to see Israel be victorious. He did not want the nation of Israel threatened. And so he got angry. Listen to this quote from pastor and scholar Sinclair Ferguson. It is impossible to discount Jonah's ethnicity from his reaction... He was a nationalist of the most dangerous kind. One who believes not only in defending his own territory and living for the benefit of his immediate kinsmen, but who as a consequence has a spirit of antagonism towards others and hopes that God shares his attitude. Ferguson goes on, The spirit of nationalism in Jonah's case drove him into antagonism against God and against his fellow man. It is legitimate in the sight of God to love our kinsmen as Paul did and to give expression to the most deeply felt concern for their welfare. But hatred of others, as a result, is a crime against both God and man. Here's what Ferguson says. He says, What Jonah wanted was a God made in his own narrow-hearted image, a God with his own prejudices that would only come into fellowship with sinners under certain restrictive conditions. Jonah was finding his Primary identity not in God, but in his ethnicity as an Israelite. And he did not want anything to threaten that, and the Ninevites' repentance would threaten that. He was so angry he wanted to die. Yeah, what about God? Same event, two different reactions. God was compassionate with the Ninevites, for sure, but also with Jonah. Jonah is all over the map in these short four chapters. Have you noticed that? He's all over the map. He's obeying, he's not obeying. He's listening, he's not listening. He's running, he's staying. Yet God kindly and compassionately keeps probing with these questions. He just asks him a question. And this leads us to see something else about God in our passage. We see the patience of God. This is our second point. God is patient. It's so easy to pick, up, uh, to pick on Jonah as we read this book. His flaws and inconsistencies are everywhere. It's easy to pick on Jonah. How is God patient in this passage? We see that God is patient with Jonah's sanctification. God is patient with Jonah's sanctification. All right, pause. What is sanctification? That was earlier in our worship service, our confession of faith. Here's a definition from uh, the standards um, that that we hold to the Westminster, Westminster Shorter Catechism. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Said differently, sanctification is our process of growing in Christ. It's our process of maturing as followers of Jesus. And it it says in that definition, it's ongoing work, right? It's a process. Doesn't happen all at once. Amen? Right? Sometimes it's painfully slow. And there's this more and more aspect of it where we more and more die unto sin and more and more live to righteousness. And it's not a straight line up and to the right where we just, you you know, growth in Christ is just like, it just keeps getting better. We just keep going up, right? The line's like this. It's zigzaggy. It's up and down. It's it's all over the place. And Jonah's life is maybe a perfect picture of that. He runs from God. He repents. He listens to God. He obeys God. Then he gets really, really angry and throws a fit. And honestly, we don't know how it ends. It ends with a question. He's just sitting there. Where does Jonah end up? I don't know, but his line is all over the map. And it's so easy to read this and look at Jonah and be like, you want to grab Jonah by the collar and say, Jonah, get it together. What are you doing? Don't you know who you're dealing with? Don't you know you can trust him? Don't you know you should just obey him? Get it together. I know I've felt that as we've looked at this but there's no verse in this book of Jonah where God grabs him by the collar and tells him to get his act together. It's actually quite the opposite. He rescues him, gives him a second chance to obey. When Jonah gets angry and yells at him, he gently, persistently asks probing questions, does not bring the hammer down. God is so patient with Jonah. And God is not just patient with Jonah and his sanctification. He is patient with us in our sanctification. Um, If you read the book of Jonah and you're feeling that tendency to want to grab Jonah by the collar and tell him to just get his act together, then that's a good indication that that's how you feel about yourself. When you just get fed up with how you have fallen short again, you want to grab yourself by the collar and just get it together. And that's likely an indication that that's how you think God feels about you that God is looking down on you, arms crossed or grabbing you by the collar and saying, come on, let's go, get it together. Fix it, be better, do better, do differently. And that likely has seeped out into how you treat other people. Whether it's a roommate, a spouse, a child, get it together. Why do you keep doing the same thing over and over and over? Maybe you directed at yourself, stop going to those websites How could you lose your temper again? You're better than that. Get it together. How can you keep overspending? How can you keep um, missing your Bible reading day after day? You're better than that. Get it together over and over again. And even if you don't say that to yourself, it's likely buried deep somewhere within you. Um, My worst days are the days where I just feel like I'm not enough. Um, not enough in my marriage, not enough as a father, not enough as a pastor, not enough as a neighbor, not enough as a runner. I mean, you name it. On my worst days, I feel like I'm just not enough in those areas. Um, it, it, it Just whatever the case may be, that, that it's like there's this not enough monster that is always lurking, always ready just to whisper, just to remind me. That I'm not enough, and I'm willing to bet you felt that before too. And if you felt that, it's exhausting. But even when we're able to name it, um, what we typically do is we pivot and we make a great self-improvement plan, and we think, you know, all right, you know, it's marriage. All right, date nights. We're going to do date nights here on out. We're going to fix this thing. Date nights, or it's parenting. All right, I'm going to do a special day with each of the kids and re- really make them see seen. Uh, um, seen and loved and, 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 and be you know, present with them, especially with the kids. Or maybe, you know, it's, it's related to work. We feel not enough at work. Like, All right, I'm just going to start reading some extra books, you know, at night about my profession, just really kind of dial in a little bit better. Or maybe I'm just going to stay 30 minutes longer at my job, and I'm, I'm really going to fix this thing. Um, or maybe it's a few more minutes on the treadmill. I'm going I'm to get my health in order. Or, you know, I heard there's a great parenting podcast. I'm just going to do one more podcast. We answer our not-enoughness we, we tend to that monster by doing more. Just more. And has, that, has doing more ever helped? It never helps. It feeds the monster. It only feeds the monster. And sometimes we're doing Christian things. The more that we're doing are Christian things. So it feels like God is somewhere in there, right? But God is not like the not enough monster. Um, and He does not have you by the collar telling you to get it together God is patient with you. God is patient with you. And He's at work in you by His free grace in you. He is slowly but surely, patiently enabling you more and more to die unto sin and say yes to righteousness. He is at work patiently doing this in you. And the fact that He is patient with you means that you can be patient with you. He is so kind to you. He is not telling you that you need to do more. He's not telling you that you are not enough. He is patient and He is kind. And as you believe that God is patient with you, you will be patient with yourself. You will be more patient with those around you. God is compassionate. God is patient. Third, God is gracious. All right, to whom? He's gracious to us and to them. And we've seen this throughout The book of Jonah. Major theme. Let's talk about God's grace to us. And us is in air quotes here. Um, We've seen this throughout the book. Jonah, remember, was an Israelite. A prophet. He was a part of the people of God. He even spoke on behalf of God as uh, a prophet. And God had delivered his forefathers out of Egyptian slavery. He was the rescuer. God was gracious to the Israelites. But God's grace was never meant to stop with His people. He always had an eye towards the nations, even from the very beginning. He established Israel. He called this people to Himself, showed them His grace, and they were to be a light to the nations. God's grace is for us, and it's also for them. Let's talk about God's grace to them, also in air quotes. Two examples that jump off the page from the book of Jonah. The pagan sailors in chapter 1, and of course the Ninevites in chapter 3. Not Israelites, in fact, enemies of God. But God shows His grace. And God did this in the Old Testament. And He continues to do it in the New Testament. It is a major theme of the entire Bible. And there's a point put on it in the New Testament. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. He talks about a mystery here. What is a mystery? how the mystery was made known to me by, by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through The gospel. This theme continues. God's grace for us and them, Jews and Gentiles. Insiders, outsiders, religious, non-religious. No one is off limits. And this means that God's grace will reach people who are very different than us. And that feels very disruptive. It disrupts our preferences, our sensibilities. It certainly did for Jonah with the Ninevites. Remember, there's a church in St. Louis. I went to seminary in St. Louis and heard about this church that was planted uh, in downtown St. Louis. And they planted and they started worshiping much like us. And they suddenly got connected to a uh, group of uh, French-speaking Congolese immigrants. French-speaking Congolese immigrants. And they started ministering to them. And they started ministering to one or two and they built a relationship. And they really had a, a, a real deep bond with them. So much so that lots of French-speaking Congolese people started coming to their worship service. And it just sounds amazing, right? I think this is so great, like this influx of these immigrants that are you know, French-speaking. What a gift, right? And they could have just sort of like kept going as is, like with their worship service like it was before. What did they do? They allowed themselves to be totally disrupted by this beautiful kingdom work that God was doing, and they changed their music and worship style which that's a big deal. Churches don't do that. Churches do not change their music and worship style. They changed their music and worship style, started singing 50% of their music in French. And you hear that, you're like, yes, like, oh, it's beautiful, what a picture of the kingdom. Every tongue, tribe, and nation coming together. Right. Imagine not knowing what half of your worship music means. That's great if you kind of speak French, but if you don't know French, that puts in perspective how disruptive that was for this community. But do you know the impact that it had on these French-speaking Congolese brothers and sisters? What a gift. Felt like they were at home worshiping. Words they understood in a style that resonated with them. And you can imagine how they continued to reach those immigrants in that community. It's beautiful kingdom work. God's grace for us and them. But it's massively disruptive. And so for us as a new church, God's grace is for us and for them... And each of us may define them differently. But the question for us is, are we willing to allow ourselves to be disrupted for the sake of the kingdom? And it's easy to say, yes. But think of the reality. Jonah was facing that reality with the Ninevites. Different music style. Different programming. Maybe sending half of your neighborhood group out to start another neighborhood group. Maybe it's us planting another church in a few years that sends out people that we just love and that we've locked arms with for a few years that we're already sending out into a new community to start a new church in a few years. Beautiful kingdom work. Massively disruptive. Massively disruptive. What would it look like for us to not just tolerate disruption, but to welcome it, to even ask God for it? That's what the grace of God does. It disrupts, but it is beautiful. And where is it headed? What's the picture of it? Uh, Gospel singer Kirk Franklin, you may have heard of Kirk Franklin. Um, He was actually, at his concert was when I officially became a Christian during my time in my freshman year. So um, much love for Kirk Franklin. He is a famous gospel singer. He recently recorded an album with Maverick City Music. And what's unique about this album they recorded is that they recorded the entire album inside a prison in Miami. Um, 1,300 inmates contributed to this album And you can watch these recordings. There's videos of it on YouTube. They are amazing to watch. You'll see Kirk Franklin. You'll see uh, all the Maverick City Band. And then you just see masses of prisoners in their uniforms. And they're all singing. They're all worshiping, closing eyes, lifting hands. It's an amazing thing to see. All kinds of different races. All kinds of different types of criminals. All kinds of different economic levels in this room. Some of the people in the room are free. Some of the people are in prison all worshiping together. It's an amazing thing, thing to see. Uh, their song, Kingdom, which I recommend, has the following refrain. If you ever wonder what heaven looks like, it's looking like me and you. And they sing this line over and over. If you ever wonder what heaven looks like, it's looking like me and you. And in this room you see these prisoners. And you see Kirk Franklin. And you see everything in between, singing and worshiping together. This is what heaven looks like. Amen. Um, When God's grace goes to us and them, however we define them, things only get more beautiful. And Jonah didn't fully get this. And we're left hanging with this question from verse 11. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much Cattle. It leaves us with this question. God is so compassionate. God is so patient. God is so gracious. Do we share with Him in those things? It starts by experiencing those things personally from God. That's what we see in Jesus. Perfect compassion. Perfect patience. Perfect grace. lived out, embodied for us. Um, what, if way, um, uh, what if there was a way to soften your anger towards others? What if there's a way to soften that that just get it together attitude, or to, to fend off that not enough monster, or to slowly break down prejudices and barriers that you have deep within you? What if there's a way to do that? Where does that happen? It starts when you encounter Jesus on the cross. And he invites you to himself this morning to experience that cleansing, to experience that deep rest where he does not ask you to try harder. He does not ask you to do more. He asks you to come and surrender everything and fall at his feet and let him meet you with his compassion and his patience and his grace. That's what's on offer to you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the good news that you are at work. By your free grace in this process of sanctification, allowing us to more and more die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Thank you that as you call us to yourself, you do not call us to come and perform, but you invite us to come and to rest. All who are weary and heavy laden, you invite to come and rest at your feet. Good Father, would you meet us with compassion? Would you meet us with patience? Would you meet us with grace today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.